Hey, Nikki. Hey, Selena. And hello, everyone. And welcome to Sweet Tea and TV. Hey, y'all. Oh, I gotta get on it. I miss my bye. I miss my hey, y'all. No, you're good. You're good. You're golden. You're golden. All right, we're gonna really quickly just go ahead and jump into the episode because, you know, I don't know. It's just We've got business to cover. Exactly. There is stuff to do. We got to give the people what the what they want. <laughs> we do, and they that want didn't look like what you were going to say. Designing women. Well, it's because the words aren't coming out correctly. Um, we had we had a baby shower set up today in honor of spoiler alert this week's extra sugar. <laughs> no baby and no babies at all. Uh, it was just a baby shower set up because we're going to talk baby showers and extra sugar. And Selena made a punch that I swear to you had something more than ginger ale and juice in it. And sherbet, like a lot of sherbet. Yeah, I mean, there's no alcohol, but I think just neither one of us, like, I hadn't eaten a lot today. <laughs> I've <laughs> eaten too much. I don't understand. Well, by the time that was done, I had, but like, I don't know if it was just a big sugar punch, but yeah, I mean, both of us are going to have a hangover in like two hours. It's, it's a real struggle right now. We're we're not firing on all cylinders. Yeah, so please bear with us, But the, um, but I did want to ask you one thing. Wanted, if you could continue pointing at me heavily with that pen <laughs> while you say it. <laughs> you're going to love this one. Okay. You're going to love this question. Uh-oh. Which like child is your favorite? Your oh, that was. <laughs> <laughs> sure. The answer is yes. You like pineapple on your pizza? I do, do too. You? It's fine. It's like a really, like apparently a very divisive question. And I, it I, is. I don't understand. My mom used to, when we would order pizza, that's her favorite pizza is ham and pineapple. Mm-hmm. And so when I was growing up, that was like mom's pizza. And the rest of us had pepperoni or like meat lovers or whatever. So it was a very like, yeah, it's sort of this thing of like, in our family, at least when mom liked something, like it was just its own thing, you know, it was mom, mom like that. So in my head, it was so unapproachable for so long because it was like that's mom's pizza like you don't touch that and then as I got older of course she always would have shared it always just felt like her thing she would share with us and it became one of my favorite kinds so now even as we order pizza as a family in my family now sometimes I'll get ham and pineapple just for me because I'm mom so now I get mom pizza that's nice see I needed to ask you this question you did you didn't even know how much you needed to answer this like this was really (laughs) this was a Nostalgia for you. Did, you. did you learn a lot about me? I yes. <laughs> I'm glad I could do that for you. I just, uh, I can see why people wouldn't think it goes together, but I don't know. I think pineapple such an interesting flavor. It was also in our punch, um, and I just feel like that acidity just can. It's just so. Um, it's just such a nice flavor. <laughs> yes, it's such a nice flavor profile, and depending on what you're eating with it. it Eating it with it, like, will really change whatever it is that you're eating. So if you mix it with butter and Ritz crackers in a pineapple casserole around the holidays, you get a totally other flavor profile. Yeah. I recommended that to someone recently. Oh, did you? I did. I made one for Christmas. It's just good. It's good cold. It's good hot. It's better when Nikki makes it. I tried. (laughs) It's better when anybody else makes it, I think, is the bottom line. Just like anything. Just prefer other people cooking for me. No, I'm pretty sure I messed it up. It's a, it's, it's one of my traditions. Mm-hmm. Try something. I was gonna say, <laughs> eh. go ahead. It's a Just real try. Yeah. You tried. That's all I can ever do is try, and that is the only thing that I could do in the kitchen. Uh, so yeah, that was just my only question. Oh, pineapples. Thanks for that. Speaking of nostalgia. 
Uh, this week's episode has a little nostalgia in it for Suzanne. So we are up to season four, episode three, There She Is. Uh, the IMDb description is, on the eve of Charlene's baby shower, an official from the Miss Georgia pageant bears the bad news that Suzanne will have to relinquish her crown due to a clerical error. Air date, October 2nd, 1989. This one's written by Pamela Norris. I want to say the credits for the episode say Pam Norris, but IMDb adds LBT's name to it. Yep. Everything else I found said this is a Pam Norris episode. Oh, and we've had this happen before, yeah. Mm-hmm. Directed by David Trainer. We're calling this one Miss Georgia for the rest of my life. So where are you at on general reactions this week, Selena? So I talked in our season opener about how the first episode didn't feel like a premiere-worthy episode to me. Mm-hmm. This one does. Oh. It had some nice 80s-level stakes. Okay. S T A K E S. Okay. Like, like, I, like, it was something where I felt like um, it, it's something near and dear to Suzanne. So we've built up this kind of pageant lore over the past three years. Mm-hmm. Um, we know it's something that means a lot to her. It is, I would say, almost inseparable from <clears throat> like her personality. You it know? is her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, so to set up an episode where we might take away a part of her, that feels like genuine stakes. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't, like, I'm trying to think of a show where it would, there would be, like, a whole episode centered around a pageant, and that's almost hard for me to imagine. So I think that's, there's some part of that that that's what feels 80s to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's why I say 80s-level stakes. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I thought it was it was worthy. It was worthy to be the first episode. So my first general reaction feels related to that, which is I'm going back to not really loving the way they're playing Charlene's pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So the pageant was a really big plot line and um, Charlene's pregnancy is this undercurrent. She has a baby shower and it's tied with this plot line that's so much more important to your point uh, to the character of Suzanne. It just feels like they're underselling the baby. And Charlene's baby experience these first few episodes. So don't get me wrong. Uh, when I found out they were having a baby shower, I immediately flashed back to, was it the bachelorette party that was really awkward with the girls uh-huh. singing to her, which I really did not enjoy. Um, so I was my first reaction was like, oh, no, do we have to sit through that again? Um, but still, I feel like it was like a an afterthought in some ways. You know, so you talked about uh, uh, Jean Smart, almost said Charlene. Jean Smart having a high-risk pregnancy, and I wonder if they had to, like, I wonder if that was a reason they were diminishing some of That's these a great plot point. lines, mm-hmm. because maybe she couldn't be on her feet that much, or couldn't be on the set that much, um, and maybe the, maybe her doctors were like, you need to chill. That's a very good point. Especially if they, did, if they didn't want her to have a baby at all, and by this point, she's very pregnant. Um, but to the, also the point that you made when you first talked about that, like, it also means that it does unintentionally rob the audience of something that could be fun. I do think, well, I'm sorry, I'm trying to like, I'm, I'm not trying to d- lay down showers or anything, but I'm like, well, what are you going to do that's going to be very interesting at a shower? But you could have some kind of like Lucille Ball hijinks going on. Mm-hmm. You absolutely could. Yeah. So I will say two things about that that uh, are occurring to me as you're talking. One is um, it's actually surprised me re- 
previewing this whole season, um, how present Jean Smart is through the season. Because I'm like, dang, this lady had a baby and is on the set. Like, it just surprised me how hard she worked through the whole season. Um, It's just astounding. And then the second thing is when I was researching Jean Smart's pregnancy for maybe the first episode, um, I read about Annie Potts, who, spoiler alert, again, gets pregnant in a couple of seasons, and they actually don't talk about her pregnancy on the show. And she made a comment in the press that she thinks it's because Murphy Brown was pregnant at the same time. And there were either some comments made or something said that made her take away from it that they felt like that was too many pregnant women at one time on TV because this this show totally and Murphy Brown are paired together. Right. So it's really hard for me to disentangle the patriarchy and say and like come to terms with the fact that there's not some master plan for not talking more about Charlene's pregnancy. Like it's great. They highlighted it and they didn't hide it. But also maybe there's a little strategery there um in not wanting to talk about pregnancy too too much or make it main plot lines or something. Skeptical Nikki can't take that out of her head. Yeah, I can see I can see that. Um I forgot that we had talked before about Murphy Brown and this being paired together at some point. Um, so this is, uh, maybe this could be a stray, but this was one of my, what I felt like was a big reaction. If this was a clerical error, what do you think should have happened? Mm. Like, was this handled well? I know, let me be very clear. It's a TV show. We know it. They have to like set this up. But like, I couldn't help but think that like, this is not how I would have handled it if I was on the pageant side of it. So what would you have done? I think um, because it's the pageant's fault, they should have added an additional winner. Don and Joe. With like an year. asterisk. Asterisk. Who care? Who, who care? Who care? Who even care? Who cares? <laughs> like, okay, you don't need an asterisk. I bet Suzanne would care. Like, yeah, yeah, I hear you. But I'd rather. I bet Donna I'd, Joe would care. Wouldn't you rather there be? I'd rather there be a second winner than it get stripped away from me entirely. Um, but it's, but it doesn't feel fair to do that to the person who did win 15 years ago because like the pageant people made a mistake, you know, it feels like as you're saying that I'm thinking about monopoly bank error in your favor, which implies there are bank errors not in your favor. Um, and they take your money back. So this feels similar to that. Yeah. Or just like this idea that like, honestly, wouldn't these people have been like, yeah, it's just like truly. There's no way to prove it. Yeah, it's just like dredging up something for what it doesn't really matter, except to show that they made a mistake and that they can't be trusted. You know, talking about Suzanne, is it possible that Suzanne was like? I don't even know if this is an early adopter because I don't know how long this concept of like manifestation has been around. We talk a lot about that now, like manifest it, put it out in the universe. But like Suzanne was a maybe like a devout. Uh, she really, like, that was her, her mode. It's mm-hmm. like she just, like, closed her eyes to any impossibility in, in her mind. And with this entire plot line, she's like, it's not true. It's not true. It's simply not going to work out that way. It cannot. I don't want it to. I just thought that was incredible. <laughs> she just refused, and look where she ended up. Right. She's I'm glad it worked for her. I only have one other general reaction. Okay. Which was, I thought the setup for this one was clever, I'm not sure viewers would have expected the Donna Joe that we meet. You know, I think that's that was like the old like 
oh yeah, ha, you know, the big reveal. She's not your quote unquote typical beauty queen. She's she's rough. <laughs> um, she was mean. She's a mean old country girl, is <laughs> what Suzanne said. She was bitter and entitled, um, but that's what they wanted her to be, right? We're not supposed to like her. That way it feels all the more sweet when Suzanne gets to keep her crown. Mm-hmm. And we also find out Donna Joe's a little bit of a cheat because it comes out that she <laughs> a little bit. slept with the judge in return for his vote. Suzanne is vindicated. She gets to keep her crown. It feels like a win for Suzanne. It feels like a win for fans of the show. Mm-hmm. So I think I just think all in terms of the strategy behind that, the conceptualizing of this episode, I think all of that was really good. Mm-hmm. It was smart. Well, now I'm wondering, do you have other strays? I'm like, that was all my generals. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, because my next one is, my last point here is just a stray. Okay, I do have a couple. Okay. So um, Mary Jo talks about how she cried easily when she was pregnant, even at commercials. I was just going to say for the record, like, this is me all the time. At least when I used to watch commercials. like the I got a Publix one um, this holiday season. Full on waterworks. And now I can't remember. It's like just the whole concept. Oh, I remember what it was. It was a little girl. Jeez, oh, I'm going to cry talking about it. <laughs> Great. A little girl living next door to her neighbor and she can see a snowman in his attic. Okay. And um, she asks her parents something like, you know, why can't I have the snowman or why isn't he out or whatever? And um, they can't explain it or they just don't know because they don't know the neighbor. And at some point they show he's an older gentleman and he's watching her out the window um, she drops some cookies off on his front porch or something and with a little note that says like Merry Christmas and he sees her and then there's like this weird flashback of some sort or something where it becomes clear that maybe he lost his little girl at some point um, like maybe she passed away or something happened and so it's clear that that was like a real sensitive spot for him and that's why his snowman is in his attic instead of his front yard but he puts the snowman out in the front yard and he like has it turned to her house waving at the little girl. She brought him cookies. It was so sweet. I just told you I'm going to cry again. It was really sweet. I cry at all the holiday commercials from Publix. I don't, they know what they're doing. Holiday commercials, man. So like, I don't don't have anything to do with pregnancy. I don't think so. I don't think so. What's your stray? Um, I have a cut line when the ladies are trying to figure out how to break the news to Suzanne. Uh, one of the ladies, I don't know if I've ever said this before, but the, um, uh, the subtitle script website that I read doesn't Mm -hmm. attribute lines to characters. So I have to use context clues. So I'm guessing this is Charlene. It feels like a Charlene story. She told a story about a friend who was cat sitting one time, uh, when the cat died. So they wrote three letters, uh, to the owner. The first one said the cat is on the roof. The second one said the cat fell off the roof. The third one said the cat died. The whole point was they broke the news gently and it, quote, softened the blow by spreading it out over three letters. <laughs> I feel like that would just make it worse. Like you get the cat fell off the roof. You're like, oh, my God, is my cat okay? Oh, no. So you spend like five days or however long it takes for the letter to get to you worrying about your cat. And then you get the cat died. So the real lesson is there is no good way. There's no good way. Right. That's really it. So that was it. Um. So I have two more. Anthony drops off key lime pies for the baby shower mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because they're out of lemon meringue. And I just wanted to know which one you prefer more. 100% all the time key lime pie. Okay. I never, ask me seven years ago if I like key lime pie, I'm going to say no. Okay. For whatever reason, in the last couple of years, I have so gotten into it. I really like key lime pie. 
Yeah, I'm key lime too, mm-hmm. and it's because I don't like that type of meringue. Meringue, that's weird. Um, like, like I've had some of the Italian meringue before, mm-hmm. and it's not like whipped cream wrong. It's I was like, going to say, tell me the difference. It, it's um, it's almost like a little like harder on the outside. Oh, okay. It, I'm just saying, if you're ever at like an Italian restaurant and they have meringue on the menu, get it. Mm. Um, and I can even tell you a place I'm in Atlanta where you very unlikely to order that on a dessert menu. <sighs> I'm telling you, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> Take it from I'm not I'm not an expertise in a lot, but I'm an expert in dessert. <laughs> <laughs> but you know that's the other thing. Like if there's a chocolate pie and a fruit, like a key lime pie on the menu, key lime notwithstanding, because I really like key lime pie, I'm probably almost always going to choose the like rich chocolate dessert at a restaurant. It depends. I'm not really like a big, like, um, I get this attributed to me a lot. Like, I think people think I'm a big lover of chocolate, mm. but I'm not necessarily a fruit person either. I'm more of like, there's like a bear claw. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a cinnamon roll. Basically, like, I love, yeah. I can't say no to a pastry. <laughs> I get <sure>. that. <laughs> um, <laughs> just grab a love hand. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a yum, yum. <laughs> okay, my last stray is that did you notice uh Monica Monique in the crowd of at the baby shower? I you know what I never actually saw her, but I saw her in some summary of the episode or something. It's just so funny that and and I guess for anybody who doesn't know, this is the friend of Charlene's who uh became a sex worker when they got older. <laughs> and then um <laughs> And try to start at the brothel. Then she comes back for all the wedding events. I mean, she's, I don't even know she says, she may have had like one line. I think she did. I think um, you're right. But that's so interesting. But I guess that's because there's like, there's obviously this friendship here, right? Because we did the segment on Bobby Faye. Mm-hmm. And she had a relationship with the Clintons. So. Oh, right. I think they must have all been friends. Yeah, there's something happening there. <laughs> Something's going on. Such a strange throwback over and over again. Right. But it's not just Monique Monica that makes an appearance in this episode. We also get the return of someone else. Consuela. Oh, I couldn't tell if you wanted me to say it or not. She's back. She's back. Well, at least they're talking about her. As back as she ever is. We never never get to see her. So in honor of that, that's going to lead into a little Selena sidebar. It's a sidebar, Selena sidebar. She's got a keyboard looking for a reward by digging deep in the obscure, taking us on a detour. What you got, Selena, in Selena sidebar? (laughs) Your countdown was glorious. My fingers got stuck. (laughs) Then I got lost in the numbers. She threw two hands up. I think I was trying. The punch is still. We're here. Punching. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, my fingers just got stuck, and then I was like, it's not moving. (laughs) It's happening. So look, I feel like this is maybe a little bit of a long shot, but Consuela's mention is is basically about Suzanne enlisting her to place, like, you know, a little voodoo curse on all these people who keep trying to take the crown away from her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you got to get tough sometime. Yeah. (laughs) Stitches wind up? Nope. <laughs> snitches. <laughs> Stitches wind up in snitches. Wait a second. Stitches, snitches, some version. Something, something. You, you're in a ditch. I don't know. <laughs> anyways. Maybe there's a witch. You're dead. I don't know. You're dead. Um, but anyways, 
So basically, this was a nice excuse to return back to something that we talked about all the way back in season one, in episode 10, we discussed different voodoo stereotypes and how maybe there's more stereotype that seeped into American culture than actually the reality of things. Mm -hmm. And it was actually you who reminded me that I wanted to cover Marie Laveau. You're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it because I actually missed the reference in the show. somehow completely and I forgot that I wanted to cover Marie Laveau so I was really firing on all cylinders is what I'm trying to tell you um so in case folks don't know Marie Laveau is known as the queen of voodoo okay the queen bee um and so what's happening here (laughs) throwback well yeah it's a throwback to last episode (laughs) Um, But what I thought we would do is start with some scene setting in Laveau's hometown of New Orleans, which over the course of her lifetime was under Spanish, French, and finally American rule, not to mention the Civil War and Reconstruction. Dang. And this next bit is from the historical podcast Dig, which I would recommend y'all check out. And it's just very specific, and I I, want to give them credit because I can tell they did a lot of um, research on this. So... Anglo-Americans swarmed into New Orleans after the Louisiana Purchase and encountered a diverse Roman Catholic, mostly French-speaking city of Creoles where racial boundaries were fluid. Creole meant any person, regardless of race, who was born in a French or Spanish colony as opposed to being born in the mother country. Creoles, both black and white, free people of color, and enslaved people all lived and worked uh, in the city and intermingled often. Anglo-Americans were outraged at the racial mixing that was common in New Orleans. They viewed Roman Catholicism as idolatry and voodoo as heathenism. So I just think that background, that backdrop of where Marie Laveau was growing up is really important. And I also, I couldn't help but think as I was reading all of this and listening to all of this that that migration, all of that transition and power in the area, I mean, it must have just made it like a really crazy time to grow up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I mean, we think we think it feels hard today. Like that is a lot of different variables in the air. So it seems fairly clear there was some culture clashing at play at the time. As for Marie Laveau, most people get caught up in these unsubstantiated rumors of activities like human sacrifice, cannibalism, orgies. The truth is, is that much of her life remains a mystery, even to historians. But reading between the lines of what has been pieced together, she's certainly one of a kind. And that's what I want to talk about today. You can really quickly do a voodoo queen uh, Google search and you'll see all the other stuff that people are talking about on a regular basis about her. I wanted to do something a little different. One more quick note. Like other times that we've looked back at historical figures, the accounts vary. You know, she was maybe a hairdresser to the white elite, practiced voodoo at Congo Square and led rituals at Lake Pontchartrain, or not. So the asterisks on this one abound. If anyone is an expert and wants to amend anything that I say today, please reach out because I'm all ears. So she was born a free woman of color in 1801 in the French Quarter of New Orleans. She's said to have been an incredible beauty. She was of African, Indian, and French descent, a devout Catholic, and a voodoo practitioner. So it's important to remember and understand that while voodoo's roots can be traced to Western and Central Africa, 
Louisiana voodoo is one of a kind because it was influenced by Catholicism. And according to Dig, it is the only Afro-Catholic religion to emerge in North America. She was also reportedly an herbalist, healer, and or nurse, depending on the source, and was said to be instrumental in helping those afflicted during outbreaks, especially outbreaks of yellow fever, which seemed to be pretty common at the time. And she was married and then subsequently widowed at a young age. There's no absolute proof of what happened to her husband, and I think that really has lended to her mystique and mystery over the years. But what followed was her longest relationship with, all right, you can test me on this with your French knowledge, Christophe Dominique Dumini de Glapion. Sounds good. Okay, all right. (laughs) Or as I like to call him, Chris. Um, But he was a white man of noble French descent. They were together for about 30 years until he died in 1855, but they were never married. So this wasn't unusual for Annabellum, New Orleans, where the system of plecage was quite common. <laughs> I have to say it like that because I had to look it up. And I sat there and listened to the pronunciation like 10 times. I was like, plecage. <laughs> Anyways, basically women of color were matched with white men through a financial agreement with a woman's mother or guardian for her financial security. Think common law marriage. So are you familiar oh. with this at all? <clears throat> okay, I know that you really have a lot of um, love for New Orleans culture, and I didn't know if uh, if you had done this level of digging. This is crazy. Well, so this was a workaround, the anti-miscegenation laws that kept couples from legally marrying. Okay. And it's worth noting that this, this wasn't really an American thing. This was, Well, listen to the name. But it was like a Spanish and French colony thing. Okay. So while Christophe may have supported her financially, theirs was supposedly a love match. And one of the ways that they sort of put that together is after he did pass, there's no record in her last 26 years of her ever being with anyone else. Aww, so they romantic. had... Maybe. How romantic? So that's romantic, maybe. That's what we. That this is my whole thing with Marie Laveau. Oh, that's a. Uh, that's possibly yeah. the sweetest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. So they had seven children, and I just as an example, uh, people said that they had fifteen. No, no, it's really seven. No, no, it's really this. But the most authoritative um, source I could find was seven. Only two of those children survived oh survived into adulthood, and they were both also named Marie confusing (laughs) so together the two took painstaking steps to circumvent some pretty racist laws and ensure their children could inherit property um, whereas the laws typically kept children of color from their white father's inheritances Uh, records show they also purchased three enslaved women with the condition that they were freed which suggests they were ultimately trying to help these women Mm. with some modern day scholars even referring to them as abolitionists Mm. Uh, however, other accounts talk it up to they were just buying slaves. So I'm, I'm just it's it's confusing, possibly chivalrous it, or not or terrible. So according to the World Religions and Spirituality Project or WRSP, she fed and housed the poor, posted bond for free women of color who were accused of minor crimes. She visited and prayed with condemned prisoners in their final hours and offered use of her family tomb to strangers who had no burial place of their own. And while there is gossip of her immortality, Marie Laveau, in fact, became older and by her own testimony to a justice of the peace in 1873, had been sick for some time, was too sick to leave her room and could no longer walk. 
She is said to have died peacefully in her sleep in 1881, and according to at least a few references, her gravesite was at one time the second most visited in the country, only behind that of Elvis. <clears throat> one thing that I heard now, so she is buried in the oldest cemetery in New Orleans that mm-hmm. still exists today. And so many people were defacing her tombstone oh. that they actually, and, and I think a lot of different grave sites in there that you can only go in there now with um, a, like an approved person. Like a tour guide. Yeah, like an approved tour guide. And uh, I, I guarantee you that shrunk the numbers tremendously as well. Defacing it in a positive way or in a negative way? Well, I or guess both. that's how you look at it. <laughs> because I Good did, and bad. Well, there, I, I think, so the, um, an X is a big voodoo symbol. Okay. From what I understand, because it's like where the living meet the dead. I'm, okay. I'm pretty sure that's what they were saying it was. So people were doing that. But then somebody came in and they just painted her whole tombstone. Um, and hers is more like mausoleum-y. Okay. Um, from what I could see anyway in the pictures. And like they painted the whole thing pink. And I think at some point, like people, were, I think it was just like, it was crossing lines to where may, they were probably concerned that it was going to start really causing damage Mm -hmm. this is me just kind of filling in the blanks but i think you're right on the money and that some is bad and some was meant to be an homage imagine what kind of nuggets you would have to have to walk into a (laughs) cemetery and start defacing someone's grave i i mean i will like i i take that stuff superstitiously like like and it's also just respect. I was going to say, I, I just take it respectfully. Yeah, I don't walk across. What would you do? Like, no. right, you know? Yeah, that's bad. And so talk. if you're not going to do that, like. Those people, I can, I rest assured they do. Rest I, assured they walk across graves. Right. So the, to my point, like, How I'm not going to do that. There's no way I'm going to go in and start writing on something. Yeah. Um. So. Let's see. While much was disputed about her life, it's widely agreed that she was powerful though the reasons why varied. Perhaps her greatest power was her position and ability to straddle worlds. She had a foot in both Catholicism and voodoo, having influence and relationships with slaves, free people of color, and elites. By several accounts, she was sought out for her counsel and consultation by people of all stripes and professions. She certainly evokes strong emotions. Marie Laveau is and has been both revered and reviled. For about 150 years, we've seen her life through the lens and eyes of others. But her story, unfortunately, is really lost to the passage of time. Her truth might be remarkable. It might be boring. My best guess is it's somewhere in between. And while we may never really know her, we can appreciate her for what she represents. At least what I see in my reading of all of these different sources. And that's that she was a subversive figure in a time of subservience for women and slavery for people of color. She possessed power and authority in a time when there is virtually unheard, when that is virtually unheard of for women, particularly a woman of color. So in my opinion, she sounds brave. Someone who didn't play by the rules because she knew the game was fixed for a select few. So good for her. And I imagine these things really angered many of her contemporaries. Mm-hmm. I think it probably fascinated others. People feared her. They adored her. These emotions have lent to an enduring legacy, most of which probably maybe never happened. <laughs> I want to be feared and adored. I want that on my tombstone. Oh my God, right? Mickey Mace, both feared and adored. I mean, you could probably get that worked out. Probably. 
Um, with this one, there was more mystery than history. <laughs> so we'll also link to great resources I came across for those who want to explore more on their own. I mean, I literally read a dissertation for this one. Oh, geez. And I want to give that dissertation a lot of credit because I thought they had a lot, a pretty interesting bend on looking at what had been written about her in the past and being really clear that she really has been seen through the lens of white men, mm. like ever since she was alive and into her death. And I just, it really did make me stop and think about like, how would you feel about someone taking your life who never met you, never knew you, piecing things together and telling your story? It's so odd anyways. Um, so yeah. anyways, that's Marie Laveau. Interesting. Well. And Selena's sidebar. <laughs> Um, there's no good exit guys. I'm sorry. There just isn't. Uh, we want to talk about some things we like from the episode. Sure. I, uh, love the whole idea of Bernice thinking it was a surprise party, them all indulging it. And then her yelling surprise when Suzanne finds out about the pageant title, the comedic timing. Excellent on that one. Also, welcome back, Bernice. I know. Uh, I really love the visual that Charlene laid out of Suzanne's off-screen reaction to finding out she was losing her crown. So she said, yesterday, when you said that stuff about your cold, dead scalp, you know, and then you ran out in the parking lot and threw yourself on the pavement, kicking and screaming, and then you crawled to your car with the dirt and saliva all over your face, and then you <laughs> drove out peeling rubber, we thought you were upset. Sorry. I were silly us. I just feel like that never would have played out. Obviously never would have played out on screen. Yeah. So the fact that she got to uh, read it back and read it back through the Charlene lens was just hilarious. Yeah. I think that's, you know, I've had the complaint that sometimes they talk about what I want to see, but this is a really great example of when I don't want to see that. Right. But I do want to hear them recount it. It was so funny. Uh, Donna Joe's husband was a real highlight for me. Um, he said <laughs> when he told everybody in the town that Donna Joe was the rightful winner, and they said Donna Joe, and I they said Donna Joe, no way, and I said yes way, Donna Joe. <laughs> the way he was telling that was so funny. And then he says like selling sparks plug spark plugs isn't as complicated as it sounds. Like just everything about him, he was so proud of her and so earnest. She treated him like trash, and I just okay. thought he was. I just thought he was a delight. So my first, I did like him. Um, my first like was also Bernice, but it was her random gift to Charlene of a live gerbil <laughs> at the baby shower. <laughs> and then also somehow evoking that gerbil story from the 80s that was so popular. And she was like, um, I'm not a professional comedian or anything. <laughs> it's just a gag gift. She's so great. Um, I do think that the one the one selling point to the final seasons of Designing Women is I think she appears in almost every episode. Is that right? Yeah, she they really up her character uh -oh. towards the end. Uh, so the other thing that I really liked about this one was really just the idea that Suzanne got to keep her crown. Mm -hmm. And it's made very clear that she turned down the pageants, uh, pageant judge's quid pro quo option. Mm -hmm. It's a good reminder, I think, that despite her flaws, Suzanne really is a good person. Um, and she does have like I a, knew that. a high moral. I know. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> but she, has a, she does have a, a high morality bar that yeah. I don't think she always gets credit for. Agreed. Uh, it, speaking of high morality bars, uh, Donna Joe does not have one. And that was my last thing that I liked in this episode. I think you mentioned it early on. But the fact that we got that big twist at the end that the reason she won actually was because she cheated. So she ends up not winning after all. And I really like that. Yeah. 
like a redemption story. Uh, things we didn't like. Um, okay, so I've already said that I like the setup. I like the twist. I thought I thought all that was good. What I didn't love was Donna Joe's portrayal. This felt like a, a, a little bit of punching down to me at someone oh. from a rural area and, oh. and someone who's overweight. Um, I don't know if you notice this or not, but the student, like, you know how they have the laugh track? Mm-hmm. I literally heard someone in the studio audience, like, cry out in horror. Like, when they were like, oh, you know, and I was like, okay. Like, She's not a creature from the marsh. Right, like, what's happening? Oh, um, I didn't hear that. So, so like, wh- like, while this is funny in the world of a sitcom, like her sleeping with the judge, it low-key also makes me think about perpetuating this stereotype of women sleeping their way to the top. Oh. Um, and I, I think we're finally getting into an era where we recognize this as bogus or at the very least, it's much more complex than, than just sex. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of portrayal lends to blaming women in these scenarios while men often get off. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> no, that's what I was going to say. They mm-hmm. often get off scot-free, mm-hmm. <laughs> but maybe also that person. Yeah. Um, and then no one ever addresses like these bigger problems and they never try and fix these bigger problems which is the sexist and discriminatory systems that led to these situations in the first place so i i know that's like a deep reading on this but i have to watch these episodes a lot (laughs) and i can't help it so um again this is like this is it's not exactly about the episode but it was very hard for me not to on the third watch be like is this really fair and then the guy, like the judge, is like, ha, 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 ha. and then we kind of like walk away hating Donna Joe, and and that just doesn't feel nice. The okay, so I think those are all really great points, and the only maybe converse of that, what I would say, is that Suzanne said uh, that even when she knew her, how many years ago was it? Twenty years or whatever, however many years ago it had been, Donna Joe was a mean country girl, mm-hmm. so she had been a mean girl back then. Sure. So um, that part of it just felt like we got to see actually who she was and then you get to see that compounded by her her not um realizing her self-entitlement so like almost like this alternate reality of what happens if if people don't come out on top so donna joe um you mentioned like her appearance and the way she looked it's almost like that's it all went downhill after that. And she didn't get, she says, she didn't get out of that podunk town. She had to marry this loser over here. And um, so to me, it just, it I didn't read it that way because it read to me like it was meant to be what happens if it doesn't work out this way. And you see how Suzanne ended up. If it had gone the other way, how would have Suzanne have ended up? Um, I might not read it so it was such sensitivity too if like there was more portrayals of people from rural areas mm-hmm. but there's not so then you just in this show in particular or just in general in general okay and then i think when we do get them it's like this and i'm like what Why? it's interesting and I, i'm glad you're saying that because i think there will be an episode later this season where we will talk about that a little bit because it is interesting that this show in a lot of ways tries to push back on that but then in other ways it almost doubles down on it i think that's absolutely even beyond embraces it like puts it out there for people to make fun of along with them yes it reads very classist and uh 
it's sort of like the the opposite of what we're trying to do, which is like, no, we're not like that. Yeah, I mean, because and it's hard because uh, the stereotypes are based in some it's a kernel of, of truth, truth, right? And 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 I think that's gonna that might be the struggle point of this show of our show is like trying to recognize that yes, some of this does exist, and that's okay. And yes, some of this other stuff exists. Like people who that like are very different from whatever that stereotype is, and that's okay too. Um, I but yeah, I'm with you, and I I know what episode you're talking about, and I look forward to really diving into that one because I do agree. I think um, I think it is good to uh, push back and say that you can have progress in a in a, in a place that maybe people didn't see as being progressive at the time, but that doesn't mean you have to take a big dump on it. Uh, in order to show the progress it's tough yeah. it's tough it's tough uh the last thing that i'll say that i i don't like even though i it's it's it, again it's a sitcom but they there is this hostile energy where we turn women on one another like it's like a good time or something and and mm. and there was a little bit of that in here too like between her and donna joe like um I don't know. I think I just, that always uh, hits me in a certain way because um, I think women have been turned against each other for a really long time because that's useful to other people. So I don't love it. I think if we were talking about maybe in the workplace to women of equal level, or if we were talking about um, like in a family to women, this is actually competition. So um, Suzanne says herself, like, I wasn't there to make friends. I was there to win. And to, to me, as a competitor, someone who takes these things quite seriously, uh, I think she, I think they were both in the right for hating one another. Yeah. One I of them had to win. I I'm not trying to make friends. There can only be one. You're telling me if you were in a pageant, you wouldn't be there to make friends at all. You would just God, be there no. to win. Yes. I want those trophies. They have good ones. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I probably would be like more in the miscongeniality way only because I'm a people pleaser. Uh-huh. Uh, so outwardly, I'd be very kind to people. Inwardly, I'd be screaming and yelling that I really want to win. So, I think most people who are involved in a pageant, they, I think, I do agree that Suzanne's probably just more honest about that yeah. aspect. I just think she's a little bit of a harsh right turn. <laughs> like you don't, like y'all don't have to kill each other. Um, you There's no Tanya Harding yeah, situation that has to happen right. here. No one has to get cut. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. What do you, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to talk about, about likes? No, we talked about early on about likes. Not likes. Okay, I was going to say, whoa, wait oh a God, minute. Oh, God, where are we? <laughs> where in the show? At the top of the show, I talked about, or at the top of this episode, I talked about how I didn't love pairing it with the baby shower and the um, pageant plot line. That was probably the biggest thing about this episode I didn't like. I just wish that we, I don't know. I just wish it could have been one or the other or one with another plot line or something. Yeah, I definitely think there are some things that could have been teased out, especially with Bernice. Um, yeah. I'm glad that you brought up those points because um, I did remember the gerbil thing, but I forgot the other stuff oh, that geez. she did. She's the best. She's the best. Well, speaking of things that are best or not best, would you like to rate this? Sunday? Nice transition. I would. My rating scale is actually baby shower gag gifts uh, in honor of the gerbil that oh, she gave her. I gave it a four out of five. 
Uh, it wasn't total perfection for me just because I wasn't super antsy to watch it again. Um, I think the baby shower scene was really awkward for me in some ways. Um, just like a little, like when they get these big giant groups of people together for celebrations, they always read awkward to me. Like when, yes, like on any show when they're like cheering yeah, and you can just see it. It just, you know, there's always some person that doesn't realize they can actually be seen on camera making a weird face and it just gets awkward to me because I get lost in the detail and it's just uncomfortable. So didn't love the baby shower scene, um, but I, I love watching Suzanne get to come out on top. I'm a Suzanne apologist. (laughs) It's going to be a good season for her, I think. I think so. She's learning a lot. Um, so I also give it a four out of five. All right. Uh, four out of five, no takesies, backsies. <laughs> it's really struggling with the rating scale on this one. Um, despite my close and very 2023 reading of this episode and what it does and doesn't say about society in 1989, this is great. I thought it was funny. It let Delta shine once again as only she can do. Like, yeah. um, I may not be an apologist, but <laughs> I, she's a talented lady. She really is. Yeah. Um, I thought it was a good idea. It was good fun. Um, and like, I thought that it was really smart to go after something that she cared about so much. So we're only three episodes in, but for me, this is the best episode so far this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have that. Okay. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I'll take it. 80s things registered letters uh i think this is maybe they were trying to get in touch with suzanne and they talked about registered letters this is totally still a thing they're called like certified letters Uh or something now um but it's like it's an extra charge so i've never done it before it's some way of tracking the letter to make sure it gets where it's supposed to go right okay they always charge more and i'm like no thanks and they're like are you sure these are your taxes and i'm like no thanks (laughs) <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't want them in the front. <laughs> I don't care who gets them. Uh, <laughs> and then loading files onto a computer, but like as an afterthought, which was the whole way that they found out about the uh, miscalculation. She was like, we're putting the files on a computer. And I was like, what, are you doing that afterwards? They didn't start there? Just very 80s. Agreed. That was also on my list. Um, Southern things? Uh, we had a Scarlett O'Hara reference in there. They were talking about how that's Suzanne's sort of mental MO is to Scarlett O'Hara things. Uh, Way Cross Georgia. We've actually had this reference before in season three, episode 14, oh, yeah. Odell, um, because that's where they went to get, there was some reference to like, that's where they were going to get married or something. You're like, why Waycross? Like, what a weird reference. Uh, to be from Waycross, however, I don't think Donna Joe's <laughs> accent was rural enough. I think it should have been a little more pronounced. Uh, and then slop and sugar is what Suzanne said Donna Joe used to do. I don't and feel like other people say that. And I think she said that before, though. Probably. In the Junies episode, I think that's how she talked about um, Charlene's mentor, her Junie's oh, mentor. Yeah. yeah, that sounds right. That's it. I am really curious, like, if we ever get to... Interview LBT. We will. Manifest it. Has Suzanne taught you nothing? Oh, right. Sorry. When? When we talk to LBT, I really want to ask, like, what's the Waycross thing? What is the Waycross thing? And I don't mean to be whatever to people from Waycross, but I think even people from Waycross would be like, we have Bubba Burgers and that's about it. So what are you what are you bringing us into all this for? It's just a random reference. Yeah. So it makes me wonder if she has, like, some kind of connection to there. Um, the only other things I caught were the biscuit cutter. Uh Anthony's the one that mentions this one. 
he's kind of kidding around that, that like being a baby shower prize or something, uh, which I have seriously bought for you. <laughs> what? I don't remember that reference. Is he's making some kind of joke about like I think they're like sorry you can't be here and he's like oh I missed the biscuit cutter prize or something oh like okay that. Uh, Suzanne you got that one oh calling a tola a commode oh my gosh my grandma used to do that that's what the, and I you know we've talked about this before and I thought that um I, I you know how sometimes I will say stuff like I don't know but it sounds southern mm-hmm. but I don't really know and I can't find anything I finally got curious and looked it up and there was this entire article on apartment therapy where they talked about all of these things that southerners say about in about in their homes that no one else except for southerners know okay do you want to hear some of them yeah okay so I, I was like oh this will be kind of fun um a sleeping porch a three seasons room or a Florida room. I know about those. My my mother in law calls them a Florida room. We it, thought she made it up. It's just a slightly more closed in porch. Kind of like a sunroom almost. Yes. Yes. I think there's a little there's but like in a sunroom you would still have like AC or or like heat. I think in these like they're they're closed in, but you don't necessarily have like that additional, like uh, completeness. Sorry, can I ask you one more question? Do sure. you think it's the same thing or different than like a screened in porch? I th- I think I think it's the same. Okay, you can comfortably hang out three out of the four seasons in winter. It's too cold. Sure enough. Okay. Uh, um, a veranda, a gallery, or a portico. Mm, yeah, I hear veranda. Veranda. A lot. I can't say I hear gallery or portico a ton. We only use portico when we're talking about like historic homes, right? Uh, Nobody's ever called my two thousands home thing a portico. So, but I and I guess that maybe it depends. Like, I mm. guess some people do actually use that term, but I agree. I would never normally um, use that. Another one that they talked about was a, a joggling board. <laughs> what? Okay, I didn't know what this one was either. A joggling board is a long, bendy piece of wood that sits on two stands and can rock back and forth. Is that a seesaw? <laughs> For what purpose? Exactly what do you do on a joggling board? Look here. Look here. You and the article are like, um, I you, think that means I'm the target audience. You sit and joggle by gently <laughs> bouncing up and down and side to side. That is the dirtiest you know, thing I've ever In a house? What? I'm sorry. I got to look this. What is this? A joggling It's like board. the bench version of a medicine ball. Joggling boards are almost always painted Charleston green. I mean, literally, that's the dirtiest sentence I've ever accidentally read. <laughs> what is this? This is making me wonder, am I Southern at all? <laughs> so is it supposed to be sort of like a swing? This is like one where they don't have a picture, so it's a little tougher for me to It know. looks like a bench. Uh-huh. Um and I, I, it kind of goes like this. So to me, it kind of looks like a rocking bench almost, but it rocks horizontally instead of, what is this? <laughs> it rocks vertically instead of horizontally. I think I think that's a Charleston thing. And I think people sometimes conflate Charleston with the entire South. Well, maybe somebody will let us know. Please, if you know what a juggling, what is this? What? I have to read that line again. You sit and joggle by gently bouncing up and down and side to side. 
It says joggling boards have long been used for rocking babies. In earlier days, Gullah nurses called Dawes would sit holding their charges in their arms, singing a soft lullaby as the gentle soothing bounced the infant to sleep. So that is definitely a Carolina's thing. Yeah. If, uh, we're talking about <laughs> Not my part of Carolina. <laughs> we didn't have a joggling board. I, I don't know. It sounds exciting. <laughs> It is like a seesaw for adults. I <laughs> know <laughs> that's why I'm like, they're like explaining it. I'm like, a seesaw? <laughs> I don't understand. Okay, so a powder room or a commode. These are definitely sure. two that get a lot of mentions on designing women, mm-hmm. like both of these two. So we just talked about commode. That's like our nicer way of saying toilet, but I actually think commode sounds really weird. So It sounds very uh, tactical. Like a Navy ship or something? It is. It's referred to a ship's bathroom. Shut up. Fantastic. (laughs) I feel like you just really pulled that out of nowhere, and it's correct. Um, But a powder room is really basically, it's just a half bath. Um, Because there's no... Which oftentimes has no bath. Yeah. That's weird, isn't it? (laughs) Yes. Uh, Nothing makes any sense. Um, then there's, this is Louisiana specific, but it's locker, house shoes, and hall tree. Hall tree, I get, which is basically just where you put your coats and stuff. It's, you said house shoes? House shoes. I think you're familiar with those. Oh yeah, I am familiar (laughs) with those. I'm like, I don't know what a house shoe is. Uh, (laughs) Well, what about a locker is the same thing as a hall tree. Yeah. This is me doing it on the fly. Do you I like love it? this. I love it. <laughs> it's so processing good. together. Well, that's what Kyle said. We need to be on the fly. <laughs> Do you love it, Kyle? <laughs> He's not listening. <laughs> he just buys the equipment and shows me how to use it. He doesn't actually listen. <laughs> I believe in you. <laughs> um, bottle trees. I mean, I've seen them. Uh, it's like a I've baby bottle tree. No, oh, this oh. is outside. So oh. take a, a real tree or a wire stand and they put glass bottles all over it. Oh, we talked about this. Uh, when I did my extra sugar on, uh, there were uh, blue ceilings. Were yep, paint blue. Yep. Well, we don't call it paint blue. No, but that's they right. do. And they also are talking about that here too. But so the blue bottles are meant to capture evil spirits to keep them from getting in the house. And then the blue roofs is meant to confuse evil spirits or what are called haints, but we don't, we don't call that. We don't call them that. Um, and then an honorable mention is to put up and this, put up, this one's actually my favorite. Not to be confused with. Uh, well, let me read you the paragraph. Okay. (laughs) While this isn't a thing per se, (laughs) it's something that comes up a lot in houses because Southerners don't put away things they put up. So you might put up your Christmas decorations and put them up after the holidays. Dishes are put up, not put away. It's one of those quirks that accent or no can give away a Southerner. That's That's hilarious. Do you say put up? I say put up. Yeah. And actually I realized around Christmas time, it gets very confusing because you're telling someone, I put up all the Christmas decorations. They're like, oh, you put them out in the front yard because like Christmas is over. That's interesting. I'm like, no, sorry. Put away the Christmas decorations. I found myself having to correct that for some reason this year. And like, I put up the tree. No, like put it up, up. And then I put it up. (laughs) You know, 
it, it, like the inflection helps. I think it does uh, help. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you say it like this, and then I put up the tree, that means you put, you put it, it away, away for the season. Yeah, because you you're say, real sad. I put up the tree. Yeah. Means you put I it get out. it. I get it. I know but that you do. one actually, I think, was my favorite because I don't think I even um, register you say that. Not until. It may be like my first friend who moved down here from like Ohio or something. And they were like, what are you saying, you Southern weirdo? And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) Don't we all say that? (laughs) Wait a second. Uh, So that was a really, uh, that was a second sidebar. (laughs) (laughs) I like that one. That was fun. Um, References that we need to talk about. I don't have any. The only, I only, I had two. One is Burt Reynolds. Which I thought was an interesting reference since LBT and Harry Thomason will go on to create the hit show Evening Shade mm-hmm. starring Burt Reynolds. Mm-hmm. In fact, it would start the very next year, which means they were probably in pre-production and stuff. So she probably had Burt Reynolds on the brain. Mm-hmm. And then I want to say we got a trifecta Elvis, Priscilla, and Lisa Marie reference. I initially mm-hmm. had altogether something different. Because, like, the Elvis movie came out this year. There's actually a Priscilla movie that's coming that I didn't know about until I looked back into a couple of things. But um, too coincidental, really. And very sadly, Lisa Marie just passed away this week. It it won't be this week by the time this airs. But, uh, you know, not even that far from Elvis's birthday. I think he was born on January 8th. She was only 54 years old. It's just super sad. Did you watch any of the red carpet footage of her before she had her incident. Mm-mm. I watched some red carpet footage. She really did not look good. She didn't look well. At one point they were interviewing her and she reaches over to whoever is with her and says like, let me hold your arm for a minute. And they showed her coming down the red carpet. So I think she hadn't been feeling well. Um, it was really unexpected how quickly she had her, it was a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. Um, it happened really quickly after the golden globes. Uh that the Golden Globes just happened, so yeah, yep. <laughs> sure. Um, so I guess that was it. I don't think I realized that she was there. She was on the red carpet okay. there, she and was then hospitalized, mm-hmm. and then had a cardiac arrest. Okay, mm-hmm. um, I think she was there because of the Elvis movie. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, uh, Austin Butler. I feel like was up for some awards or something. He won. Oh, good. <laughs> Look at us putting it together. Oh my! It's really sad. It was really, really awful. It happened really well, her quick. Her son died two years ago. Oh. And it sounds like she hasn't really been the same since. Sure. Um, so just, I didn't mean, I'm not trying to bring it down. I'm just saying that it was really weird and coincidental coming back to this and us meeting today mm. that that just happened. And I didn't want to skip over that because that's significant. So next episode. But next episode, <laughs> episode four. This is an episode where we'll talk, I think, a little bit probably about the way we treat rural people in this show. Uh, it's called Nightmare from Hee Haw. We'd love everyone to follow along with us and engage Instagram and Facebook at Sweet Tea and TV. Email sweetteatvpod at gmail.com. Our website is www.sweetteatv.com. Uh, as always, there are several ways to support the show. Tell your family and friends about us. Rate or review the podcast wherever you listen. We also have some additional ways to support us on our website from the Support Us page. Uh, and come back Thursday. This one's mine. This one's my old extra sugar. Uh, it's a segment I'm calling... <clears throat> I've never been crazy about this, but I haven't been able to find a new name for it. So I'm diving in with it. An hour to endow her and devour. Let's hook it up with a baby shower. Hey. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully that gives you an idea of what we're going to talk about. That's it. Pumpkins. Yes. 
Well, you know what that means, Nikki. What does it mean, Selena? It means we'll see you around the bin. Bye.